Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. Todd Buckingham here with uh, Greg Steeman and Zach Dosh. Welcome to a two weeks from the Super Bowl edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast, gentlemen. Yeah, welcome uh, to everybody except for Eagles fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I might have been able to throw the ball more than the San Francisco quarterbacks by the end of that game. But Yeah, all the luck. Yeah, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Well, so obviously we're here to talk about the Summit League, not not football, but we only have a couple weeks of football left, so let's chime in here and there about it. Um, I think one of the biggest stories as we get to a little bit past halfway in the Summit League now is teams two through seven, all within two games, sitting right now alone by a half game in second place, Western Illinois. Then you have Kansas City, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, all at six and four. South Dakota at five and five and St. Thomas at five and six. Uh, I'll just start out with you and you can just chime in about two through seven in general, but I'll start with the first thought of, I think we have been kind of saying we thought this is what was going to happen. What What are your guys' thoughts? So I agree. had all the ingredients. It had all the ingredients, a lot of turnover, a lot of unknowns, a lot of new parts. You know, there's going to be a lot of inconsistencies out there. Um, and it was really going to be up for the taking I think, you know, the, the the surprising thing is maybe how it's sort of worked out. But at the same time, you know, we don't want to get too carried away with this because we're only halfway through the conference season. And, you know, some of these teams, I mean, all these schedules obviously haven't been the same. And the, the closer we get to the end of the year, the more things will even out. And um, so but I'll, I'll be curious to see how that plays out. But, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I this is what we've been talking about. And it's also kind of what makes it interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a lot, we had a ton of unknowns heading into the, you know, outside of Oral Roberts, we had a ton of unknowns and, and there was some experience coming back in a few different teams, but, and, and there's with p- players not able to play and, and things along those lines, I think that has impacted it, but credit to Western Illinois and credit to Kansas city for the position that they put themselves in. And um, this, this was the time of the season last year where Western Illinois seemed to go in the wrong direction. And this year, it seems as though they're probably uh, re- reversing that trend. I think they're meshing in, in the manner in which they're playing and the level that Masner is playing at right now. Uh, they've, they've already earned that 7-4 and four record. And, and, and also, Kansas City um, has earned their 6-4 and four record. And, and so I, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how it all shakes out. And So, no, I, I would say not surprised. Um, it, but it's also, you know, I... I we talked uh, on the NDSU game the other night. NDSU's four road games left: South Dakota State, USD, ORU, and Kansas City. That is not an easy road schedule. Oh. And Zach, you know, UND's got to take those same trips. Um, that's going to be. I'm just curious to see how this thing all shakes out. You know, and then but the other side of that, Greg, and that's a very important part of this whole thing, is kind of how this plays out. That means they also get like Omaha and Denver and some of these other schools coming to their place and St. Yep. Thomas coming to their place. And right. so, you know, the, the lack of road wins in the conference is really, I do think a theme. And again, it shouldn't be surprising. I think the lack of road wins goes right hand in hand with sort of the unpredictable nature of this entire conference. Again, of course, outside of Oral Roberts, but really not a ton of non-conference wins out there. Todd, you brought this up last week. And it didn't necessarily get a whole lot better this week. I mean, obviously, South Dakota won it at St. Thomas. But, you know, there's really not much out there. St. Thomas still has yet to win a conference game on the road, yeah. despite you know, uh, being right in the middle of the pack there. Yeah, and only uh, lost one at home. So, I mean, just complete yeah. opposite. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, the problem is, and the reason why I think this is so important is, the conference tournament isn't played at home. There's only one team that gets to play at home during the conference tournament, and that's South Dakota State. But that's probably a conversation for another day. But so, so like when you're looking at at St. Thomas, it's it's kind of like a good um, non-conference schedule. It's just like that's good, but will it translate to what is everybody's goal here? And that's making the NCAA tournament. Obviously, St. Thomas, it's a little different there. But I mean, winning that conference tournament, I mean, nobody really remembers who finishes third or fourth in the regular season 
you know, it's all about who makes a run in the conference tournament. So, um, but you know, they're certainly not apologizing for anything. You know, obviously winning at home and taking care of business at home is, is usually a prerequisite to being a good road team. But, um, you know, again, the, these teams, South Dakota, they won at, at, uh, St. Thomas and at Omaha and NDSU who has three road wins, which is the most outside of Oral Roberts, but their three road wins are Denver, Omaha, and UND, right? The, the bottom of the conference. So it's just like on one hand, is that good or has that just been what their schedule has been? You know, and then obviously that's going to flip for the second half of the year. So, you know, South Dakota State at South Dakota and at UND and Kansas City, obviously, you know, probably with the best win on the road at NDSU. That's probably the best road win so far. Again, outside of Oral Roberts. But, um, it's it's certainly it's certainly interesting, uh, I've, and and then Western Illinois is on their heater. Yeah, well, and we, I again I think we were kind of right about the middle. You know, we maybe weren't as right about how good Oral Roberts is. We we I thought at least I won't speak for all of us that they'd be way more with this group of two two through seven, and then maybe how bad North Dakota would be doing. But otherwise, I think it's just kind of playing out. We we knew there were teams with weaknesses. We we knew that that would lead to some surprising results. Um, but yeah, it's it's that doesn't mean the second half of conference play won't go all sorts of different ways. But but it's hard to predict. Yeah, we we really haven't had much in the way of injuries or or the, those types of things that could really turn things quickly. Um, really curious to see how Oral Roberts plays the second half of the year. You know, it's almost like they're starting to get a bad habit of playing with their food a little bit where they don't handle their business, particularly in the first half against inferior teams. And I think that's, that can develop a lot of really bad habits. And obviously this isn't lost on them, but you know, they may not always be able to come back or have strong second half in every game. So I mean, especially if they're talking about winning multiple games in the NCAA tournament. So that's just something else I'm I'm looking at. You know, maybe it's just me trying to create a, a situation when there isn't one to be created. But um, it that is a, just a little bit of a trend that we're seeing. Well, and it's it's a crucial time of the season. I mean, it, you get through the non-conference schedule, you, you guys get rejuvenated as you get back into in, into conference games, and it's a it's a whole new season. And then you get halfway through the conference season and it's really, you know, th- these are our coaches nightmares that right now where you're going, you know, how do we, how do we challenge these guys? How do we push them to take the next step? How do we, um, how do we expose their, you know, or, or make clear what our deficiencies are and, and find ways to improve. This is a really critical time. And it's going to be interesting to see how different coaches handle this time of the season, because this is, uh, you know, everybody can point to, what is it? Uh, is it is it Friday or Saturday that's moving day in the PGA? I, I never remember, Zach. You can Saturday, me, but Saturday. Saturday. But it's yeah. and you sit there and you go, right now this is really what it is, and and you got to try to convince your guys. Listen, I don't care if we're playing on the road or at home. Here are the here are the two or three things that we've got to do at a much better level than what we have been doing, and and uh, and I just think it's going to be interesting to see how different coaches handle these situations because these are there's going to be some really interesting matchups. I still. We, we talked about it the other night. Certain teams match up. Omaha has played ORU tough twice, and and, and ORU has blown a lot of different people out on different nights. Um, and teams that we we probably all think might have a, a little bit more experience or higher talent level than Omaha does, but Omaha has found a way to hang around with them. And but I think that's this is a critical time. It's it's the 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 dog days of the conference season. Uh, pretty soon we'll have all the games made up, but it's going to be. We have two on Monday night, I think, and then I think after I think that so. we're all yeah mm-hmm. we're all even at, at eleven, and so critical time for for every coach and for every player and and uh, as far as have they established their role, have they bought in, and have any of these teams reached a level of consistency that they're content with? I would say no, and I would put ORU right there with everybody else. I'm sure they have not reached a level of consistency that they're they're pleased with. So this is a critical time for every team and, and every coaching staff as far as how do we take the next step, uh, especially th- this late in the season as we're heading into Sioux Falls. I think many years coaches are left trying to convince their their teams of things that they themselves really aren't even all that convinced of. 
in terms of, Hey guys, we really have a chance or Hey guys, this or that, you know, um, like last year, I don't know if that was necessarily the chance this year, you know, maybe not winning the regular season championship, but like making a, a huge run at it and really picking up a lot of ground on the whole conference. We just saw it from Western Illinois. They, they go mm-hmm. on a heater, they, they go five and one and all of a sudden they shoot right to the top of the conference. Things yeah. are that bunched. So, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a hard sell to be able to illustrate the path to, you know, maybe getting a six seed and saying all of that first playing round, you know, little things like that. There's a, uh, motivation should not be lacking for anybody. It's, it's right there for every single one of these teams, if they put it together. Yeah. And that, yeah, that, and that shouldn't be lost, you know, two through seven's big, who ends up seven, who has to play that first night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a, that's a big, uh, that, that's a big seed difference, you know, between six and seven. And I also think it's a big seed difference between three and four. And yeah. so we'll, uh, we'll see how it all shakes, man. So, so I know we've answered this question a few times this year, but I, it just changes so often. I think it's worth chatting about again. We talked about two through seven. Who, who, uh, and I think we've answered at different times. South Dakota State's the most likely to finish second. North Dakota State's finished second. Now Western Illinois happens to be in second. Who do you guys think is most likely to finish second? I suck at predictions. You go ahead, Zach. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, I'll make the case, I mean, instead of necessarily predicting, we can make the case for different teams here. I'll make the case sure. for NDSU because obviously I love what they're doing, right? They're, especially considering how they started the year, six and two in the last eight. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, three have been on the road. Nelson's playing great. And I don't think it's necessarily just Nelson playing great. But the two post players playing very well together, I think, is, is very important. Uh, Greg, I'm assuming uh, Morgan's going to be back. Yeah, he was. It was. It was literally uh, his. Yep, his, his grandmother passed, and he yeah. had to get back for a. Uh, they didn't want to take any chances with roads or anything like that. He had to get back for memorial service, so he will be back and uh, back at full strength. It had nothing to do with anything physical with him. Right. So, and I, I think they're getting better at playing together. Him and Nelson are getting better at playing together because I, I think that's not as easy as people would like to believe it is. But they're getting much better at that, and they're playing through them. You know, some nights it's Morgan with a big game. Some nights it's Nelson. You know, like, I, and I think the, the young kids are growing up. They're not turning the ball over as much. Um, yeah, maybe a little ways to go defensively, but, you know, by and large, they're, they're on the right trajectory that's, you know, one that continues to get better every now and then they have a little hiccup like the Kansas city game. But I mean, I like their trajectory and I like the angle that they're going to have over these other teams. I think South Dakota state is really going to have a hard time guarding those two. As we saw in the last time they played, I think South Dakota is, I, you know, Kansas city is the one team that I think can kind of match up with them a little bit. And uh, if Raquandis Mitchell and Shamari Allen are playing really well, we we saw them go out and beat the Bison, but you know, all these teams are flawed, but that's my case for NDSU. It's the combination of personnel and the trajectory that they're on, you know, limiting turnovers, their formula is starting to happen. It took a little bit longer than the average year, but their formula that NDSU has used for so many years is starting to happen again. I, I think those are good observations. I think they're fair observations. And, and you know, the other thing that's happened with NDSU is Bowden Scunberg is starting to shoot it from the perimeter. I mean, he that had kind of he had no consistency that in his, from behind, you know, from the perimeter in his first two years. And that's what he was known for when he came to NDSU, shooting the ball with a lot more confidence. You talked about the maturity. Uh, I think Miller is really, really stepping his level of play up, uh, the freshman and. And as is Wheeler Thomas and, and uh, Waddles is getting is finding the way on the floor more as well because he's doing a better job defensively. So I do think they're growing up. I will go back to their schedule. That's not easy for them. They've got to go to some tough places to play. But I'm in agreement with you as far as I think both South Dakota State and USD struggle to match up with the NDSU. Yeah, I guess one of the things that I look at, um, so I, I don't disagree on NDSU. I, one thing about South Dakota State and USD, they get – they get NDSU at home. They get ORU at home. They get Kansas City at home. I think they get Western Illinois. Um, no, I think South Dakota schools already have West, had Western Illinois at home. So um, I think SDSU is a chance. But Western Illinois, I don't know if there's a team playing better than they are right now in the league outside of ORU. 
And so um, there you are. I didn't pick one. I just threw some teams out there because <laughs> I'm awful at predictions. So there you are, Todd. Well, and, and I, I actually like the direction we went. I, I think that was fun to talk a little bit about why. And I'll, I'll even go to, to Kansas City as just maybe a little bit of an outlier that we haven't talked about. Why they could finish second, that size, athleticism, and those young guys growing up to pair with two guards that can win any game. We've, we've seen it yeah. consistently this season, um, and they just keep finding a way. So they're right there, too. Yeah, and, I, I'm and glad you, yeah. I don't have to put money on it, but and well, I, you know, we, we talked to for a couple of weeks now, like, I think, I think everybody understands the situation with Kansas City now. Um, if Shamari Allen, Raquandis Mitchell are locked in and attacking, they can absolutely beat everybody, anybody. If, if one of them aren't, they can probably lose to anybody. So yeah. there's, there's your reason. And, and then you throw cop into the picture. I mean, he's, he's just finally getting back. He is a, He's a legit catch and shoot threat. The thing I love about yeah. both Mitchell and Allen is they will get to the front of the rim. They they will get to the front of the rim and, and, and create for their teammates um, and and kick out to shooters. I mean they they're bigs. Their freshman bigs and perimeters are aren't great perimeter shooters, but Coach Menzies has has turned them loose because if Allen and, and and Mitchell are kicking it out to him, he's saying take the shot and they'll knock down enough of them that that's that allows them to remain effective on the offensive end. So I, I'm with you on that. I think both of them have to, neither one of them can play poorly. They don't both have to play great. They can't afford one to have a, a poor game or be in foul trouble and only have 12 minutes of playing time, things along those lines. I think that would hamstring them a little bit, but I think I also think cop coming back can't be undervalued either. Yeah. Good point, Greg. I, he's only played four games this year. I think I didn't look it up, but I think yeah, that's, that's what, what it was. was. At. Yeah. Um, and if he does come back, that's a that is a game changer because they need someone outside of those two guys that can consistently stretch, and he certainly can do that. And so, you know, since we were talking about Kansas City, why don't we roll to the interview with Michael Watson? So, Michael Watson, for those that are listening that do not know, he's the third time, third all time leading scorer in the Summit League slash Mid Continent. It was the Mid Continent when he played in the early two thousands. When he when he was done playing college basketball, he uh, was the leading scorer in mid-continent history. Got since passed by Mike Dom and oh boy, I don't remember the other person. A person when it was still mid-continent a few years after after Watson. Um, but the third leading scorer in summer league history, and now is the commentator with Neil Harwell on Kansas City games. So since we were just talking about Kansas City, I think we'll roll to the interview with him. And then we'll chat a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about a player that uh, had a heck of a week. So let's roll to the interview with Michael Watson and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Todd here with Michael Watson from uh, now uh, commentator with uh, Kansas City Roos basketball. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so. I want to start out by saying, so I get a chance to to listen to you guys, you and Neil, um, on a regular basis with the home games, and I think you guys just do a fantastic job. So I, um, entertaining. It's it's fun to watch. I, I, you know your stuff. It's just a little bit of a kudos as we start out here. No, so. I appreciate it, man. I have a lot of fun, and it's kind of awesome doing that with Neil. Neil used to call my high school games, <laughs> you know, and so I've known Neil and the entire um, production team since I was 14, 15 years old. So about almost 25 years now. Yeah. Yeah. One one of my favorite things is Javen Sullivan. I think you called him Jay smooth or something like Jay that. Smooth. Yeah. 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 There we go. Yeah. <laughs> we got all kinds of nicknames for those guys. Right. Right. Oh, and hopefully with all, all those freshmen on the team, they'll be around a while to even build up more nicknames as it goes along. I hope so. so. I hope so. we got a, a really good nucleus of young guys there now. Absolutely. Um, so one of the first things I want to talk about is just your playing days. I, hopefully some of our summit league slash Midcontinent fans know a little about, about a little bit about your playing days, but when you finished, you were the leading scorer in Midcontinent history, right? Yeah. Yeah. Long, long, long time ago. <laughs> I, you know, as, as, as the two of us are probably relatively the same age, I'm not going to make it that long ago because it'll, it'll age both of us, but, uh, it seems um, like eons ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now you're third in, in the summit league in scoring, uh, all time and, uh, a current player, just a little over 200 points behind you. 
it, so certainly a chance that Max Asmus could could move up into third or maybe even second. I don't think anybody's catching Mike Dom. But uh, what what's that like to have when players do pass you? Is it kind of a cool, especially now that you actually uh, call some of his games? If he does, it's awesome. I think I think records are made to be broken, and so uh, coming into UMKC now, we we go by Kansas City. At yeah. that time, I knew Tony Dumas's record, and so I wanted to break his school record. I didn't ever think about you know breaking the Mid Continent Conference record. Um, but when I was able to do that, it was pretty cool. I think Caleb Green came along and broke mine after that. Uh, but just be able to have that going out and then being able to see a player like Ace Misset or Roberts, who was uh, our biggest rival besides Valpo. I mean, he's a phenomenal player. I mean, he's one of my yeah. favorite players to watch in the country. And so, you know, you kind of, you, you know, he's going to catch it. You hope he catches it. I mean, just like you said, kudos to him, just the type of player he is. And then the coaches who allow him to go and be who he is. Right. Yeah, there there aren't many teams that in the the summit that were in the Big Continent when you played. It's just Oral Roberts and probably Western Illinois. I think Western Illinois, two. yeah, it's only yeah. two. Yeah, still Centenary was still around back then. I don't think they're wow, even down in anymore. Louisiana. That was a yeah. trip right there. <laughs> that is a trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Kansas City, the the town and the school. Um, I, I was reading a few different places. You had a lot of different offers. And you chose to go to Kansas City, which at that point was was branded UMKC, um, mostly to stay home and then a, yeah. a pro career for a little bit and then back to Kansas City. So you, if you just want to talk about the town, the city of Kansas City, what it means to you, and then maybe even some of your ventures outside of basketball around Kansas City. Yeah, awesome. No, so I chose UMKC. Um, I grew up less than a mile from the school, literally right around the corner from uh, the campus. And so I knew it was there. I was very familiar with uh, the coaching staff once they came in. And they were the first school to actually send me a letter of interest. You know, back in the day, you actually had to get letters in the mail. Yeah. Uh, and so they were the first school to send me a letter, which I thought uh, was amazing because it was my hometown school. And I love Kansas City. Um, I'm originally from Puerto Rico, the key of Puerto Rico, huh. um, but grew up in Kansas City. And so for me, uh, getting an opportunity to stay home and play in front of my family and friends, that appealed more than, you know, going out to the bigger schools and, and playing um, like that. And for me, it was the best decision ever because it allowed me to uh, start to lay a foundation and build a network that I uh, now have in Kansas City. And so after enjoying that time at, at UMKC, I signed with the Boston Celtics in 04 and played summer league with them and was signed with them and uh, ended up getting released and started my pro career playing in Europe. Uh, after that, I went to Poland and France, Turkey, Italy, uh, and I played in Puerto Rico as a professional, even while I was in college. So a lot of people don't oh. know that since I'm native to Puerto Rico, I was able to play as a pro down there. So I spent oh, uh, my sophomore junior summers down there as a pro playing against, you know, Carlos Arroyo, Larry Ayuso and Jose Juan Barrera. JJ Barrera was one of my teammates. So a lot of that team that beat America, the USA in 04, or a lot of my teammates down there in Puerto huh. Rico. So so it's pretty cool uh, getting a chance to travel the world and play for uh, nine seasons professionally i mean what more can you ask for you know you're playing a game to make a living and you get to travel the world i mean it's no better life than that right so so tell i know i know you have some ventures in the kansas city area some things yeah. that you do in the community tell us a little bit about that yeah so uh, i'm currently a nonprofit executive director um for reap raytown emergency assistance program uh, and we help people with utility assistance and rental assistance and food pantry assistance so huh. i've gone into the nonprofit sector I, I also was a uh, school district athletic director so i stay involved uh with youth sports i have a youth sports organization called mentality by michael watson uh, we have a uh, basketball for boys and girls and a volleyball program ages uh, 7 through 18 so again opportunity to stay close to the game in, in those respects I also um, helped Coach Menzies on the Kansas City staff as a, uh, an assistant to him um, mm -hmm. this season when he came he came on. And so it's been great getting to be around the guys, be back at on campus uh, with the team, be able to pour in my knowledge uh, and then be able to learn, you know, from Coach Esposito, you know, Coach Bolden, Coach Saunders and Coach Menzies, of course, who just brings a wealth of knowledge. He just changed the entire culture there. So just been able to kind of ingratiate him to the Kansas City community. Uh, has been uh, a lot of fun because he's so personable and so likable. Um, and so for me, just being able to come back home, you know, uh, since I went to, to school here, a lot of people still remembered, you know, me from my playing days. So that opens a lot of doors 
and I'm always talking to our, our, our hometown recruits about, you know, being able to have, quote unquote, the key to the city, you know, once your playing days are done. Nice. Well, you talked about Coach Menzies. So a, a unique situation in the offseason. Well, one of the best seasons Kansas City has had really ever last season, finishing third in the Summit League, that things were looking up. Uh, and that was even with like Josiah Alec missing some time with injury and different right. things like that. So things were going really well. And then coach Donnan leaves for an assistant job. Uh, but I guess from my perspective, uh, Dr. Martin kind of hit a home run on the coaching oh, hire, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he, he definitely did. And, and, and I mean, we got to show some love to Dr. Brandon Martin. I mean, just what he's been able to build uh, and, and just revitalizing the culture that starts from the top. It starts with his leadership. Uh, and then with coach Menzies, it was a no brainer. Uh, but it's what he brings to uh, the credibility of Kansas City basketball now, where you have to respect his coaching prowess, Coach Esposito as well, his right-hand man. But, I mean, when we were looking at, you know, the candidates after uh, Coach Donlin left, you know, he was at the top of the list. And so for us to be able to to lure him here out of, you know, his semi-retirement, uh, <laughs> it was huge. Like I said, it, it gave us instant credibility uh, and a proven winner that we haven't had at that position. Yeah, I mean, one could argue that the most proven winning basketball oh, yeah. coach in the conference was hired. Oh, easily. To, easily. And, and that's nothing to say. I mean, great coaches in the league. I'm not pretending that there aren't. But, yeah, right off the bat, five NCAA tournaments, uh, it just all sorts of accolades. So Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it, one wouldn't have thought. I mean, Coach Donlin was a great coach, too. I'm not saying any, anything else. But one wouldn't have thought that it would get actually uh, probably an improvement to some extent. Um, no, I, I think I think that's I think that's spot on, and it, you know it's no slight to Coach Donald. He did a, he did a phenomenal job um, uh, when he his time here and 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 resurrecting the program and and kind of um, making people pay attention to it. But it's just you know with with Coach Menzies, I mean you you can't uh, Father Tom is always undefeated, and so he brings yeah. that experience, he brings that wisdom um, that you just have to sit and 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 glean from. Honestly, especially from my perspective, being able to sit under him and learn, and then you know, uh, be a voice to the to the student athletes that we have on the team. And he's put together a roster, though, that I'm telling you, it's about three pros on that team huh. uh, that I can I can identify. I, even last summer when they first came, I said, oh, man, these these guys can er, can be pros and, and make a lot of money at the top level. And I think that's what we that's what the coaching staff and the program is all about. You know, we, we're not just, you know, trying to create professional athletes of course you're trying to create wonderful men and productive men in society but you know we, we, we coach them and we teach them um in a sense to be an NBA all-star so that's the kind of work that these guys put in you know and so that you, you have to love that when you, you see what coach means is, is bringing to the table gotcha well a little bit on the the team itself I, one of the most fascinating stories to me and so I'll be honest, I picked Kansas City to finish 10th in the league at the beginning of the year. Wow. Uh, so, so, I, I mean, I whatever you got to against you right now. Yeah. yeah we got to own our mistakes too. Right. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But, but we of course don't never pick wanting that to happen. Just somebody has to finish 10th. Right. And it was mostly right. about the youth. And then with Shamari Allen and Requandus Mitchell, they just hadn't had the role that they have this year. So it was thinking, you know, are they, um, you know, Shamari, I knew a, more because he played in the summit league Raekwondis. I didn't know, know as much about, but especially Shamari just come staying with the staff after yeah. the, the staff that brought him in left and just becoming a star. I mean, what a, what a great story for both of them. And then maybe even the, the freshmen and just the role they play. Just want to talk a little bit about yeah. some of them. No, I mean, I think Shamari, you hit it, you hit it right on the head. You see, what a coach can do to a player, you know, in uh -huh. either direction. And and I think for Coach Menzies, he put the ball in Shamari's hands last summer, you know, and he said, go show us what you can do. And I think in those summer workouts, Shamari was able to take on that leadership role um, a lot more. Uh, and coming out of high school, Shamari was a, was a scorer. And so everyone knew what he could do. We knew he was a phenomenal athlete. He was a phenomenal defender, especially on ball. And so what we didn't get to see last year was his – freedom of movement and his ability to go and create his own shot uh, when he needed to. So you're getting a chance to see what we've all, always known, but now Coach Menzies is putting that on display. And then with Ray Q, I mean, that's just one of the, first of all, it's one of the, the, the greatest young men that you'll ever meet. Just a great oh. kid. Uh, I, I call him kids, but a great young man. 
um, who just loves to play basketball. He loves to be in the gym. You know, he's always like, hey, I want to work out, I want to work out. He wants to get better. He wants his game to be critiqued, watching film. And so with he and Shamari out there, they kind of realized early on that they were going to take that take that lead for Kansas City with so many young, just young players who've never played at the collegiate level ever. And so they kind of have, have asserted themselves in that role. Um, and so Shamari, his play, Ray Q, his play, and they play off of each other defense to offense and play fast, you know, and then they're not hesitating on the shots. I think, you know, if you got the shot, you take the shot. You know, Coach Mendes would tell you that's why we practice those shots. It's when you have opportunity, you take them. And so when players are playing with confidence, uh, got to shout out my guy, Casey Dudek. He says confidence is the key, you know. And so that's what you see a lot this year with Shamari and with Ray Q. Uh, confidence is the key. You know, AK, uh, Anderson Cop was out with an injury. He's that 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 third head on that on that leadership board for Kansas City. He's been out, but he's been a leader, all, you know, on the bench. Um, and so I think if he had been, been there this season a lot more, I think those close losses that Kansas City has had, I think they would have won those games. So it could be a different season. Yeah. Well, and, and you talked about Shamari and just the shooting is that they, I mean, and a confidence. Yeah. And of course I'm not doubting for a second that he puts in the work as well, but I mean, you barely made a three point shot last year and <laughs> you barely and, uh, took a three point shot. Last yeah, year. You're yeah. right. Which some was certainly the system that wasn't, it was uh, more Evan Gilliard who was out, out shooting, doing a lot of the shooting, but, but uh, it, and I mean, you brought up, brought him up Anderson cop, four games I think he's played this season so yeah. if if you were to say at the beginning of the year that things were gonna there you know Kansas City was going to be middle of the pack to hire you would think oh Anderson Cop was a huge part of that and and because of injury he hasn't been um so just again another I guess mark in the culture that people have stepped up and and made plays exactly. when, they, when they had to exactly um, well, one of the other reasons that we, I guess we don't have to keep laboring how bad I am at picking who finishes where, but uh, <laughs> um, the, one of the other reasons I, I picked them lower is 13 freshmen, 11 yeah. uh, scholarship freshmen on the team. It just was one of those things. And I, I think from my perspective, it's just, but when you have guards that are veteran that, that can cover up a lot of that and, and let the young guys learn a little bit. Um, but what have you noticed from the freshmen and maybe even some specific players that just have jumped out at you? No, I mean, uh, Jeff Ngandu. I think um, he has been one of the best big men we've seen in Kansas City in a long time. And just to see his in-season improvement from when yeah. he first came here um, to where he is now is a huge credit to the coaching staff. I mean, his own work ethic. He, again, he's he's a great guy. Coach Music did a great job of putting together high-character kids and not only high character kids, but they actually like each other. You know, you've been on teams where the kids don't like each other. These guys hang out off the floor. You know, they're constant in group chats. They're just, they're good kids. And so Jeff has really stood out a lot because he's put in a lot of work to hold down that middle, have a little soft hook shot that he has now. Uh, and you've seen some of the, his follow-up putback dunks have been, I think could have been top plays on SportsCenter. Uh, there's some kind of things that he's done, he's done in protecting the rim. Um, Alan Mukaba, you know, he, he's had a, been injured a little bit, but he's one of those guys who reminds me of Larry Johnson at UNLV. You wow. know, back in the day, he is that kind of powerful, powerful player. Uh, he's probably one of the best athletes uh, next to Tyler on the team. So Tyler is another one of those kids who I thought could, I think can be a pro one day, you know, yeah. and he's really developing that confidence and understanding what he can do because he was the best player in the summer when he first came here. And I think just, getting out there, adjusting to the speed of the game, you know, not overthinking when you're a freshman, you can do that. And so you've had those young guys step up and fill in big roles. I think that has really helped put Kansas City in the middle of the pack. And like I tell them every single time we speak, you guys can win the conference. You can you can win the conference regular season and you can go win three games in March when it counts as well. So just those guys believing that now, I think is making them even more dangerous. Yeah. When you mentioned Tyler, we have not seen the best of his ability to shoot outside, no. have we? Yeah. No, yeah, not, not even close. Yeah. Yeah, you can not you can close. just he, tell. Yeah. Yeah, he's a player. I'm telling you, I play because I still play with these guys. So I'm I'm yeah. 42, but I get out there and I play with them. And his uh, his defensive ability is so underrated. What he can do, he can guard the one to four. Um, he's such an athlete. Next to Alan Mukaba, he's the best athlete on the team. And he's a shooting guard. He's a legit six seven shooter, six six shooting guard. 
who can guard, you know, multiple positions. And he has a flamethrower. I mean, the kid can flat out shoot. And it's just taking him time to rev up. But I think he's hitting his stride at the right time for him in this freshman season going into the stretch run, you know, this next month in, in, in conference play. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. You know, you kind of see it in, in his last few games, that put-back dunk. I mean, that dunk he had at the end one to kind of yeah. seal the win. Um, and so for him, just playing with that confidence and the coaching staff giving him that confidence, like, hey, man, go create a shot sometime. You're not just a standstill shooter. Go out there and show what you can do. So he, he's, a, he's been a, a, a big surprise, but not really for me because I've, I've seen him. Right, right. Well, just a couple of more fun ones to kind of end uh, uh-huh. uh, the day. So, in your playing days, the shorts were were pretty close to <laughs> to to capris almost, or something like, kind of in the middle of shorts, and and, exactly. and that would have been my time of that that as well. Did you ever think we'd go back to short shorts again? Well, they say fashion always repeats itself, and, yeah. and, and I would have never thought this would be one of them, though. I mean, yeah. we would fight the big man for the two X shorts at the, right. at the guard. Uh, and they would be looking for those shorts all the time in high school and in college. Um, these guys want their shorts above their knees. They want to yeah. show their thighs. It's it's a different day. Um, you know, it, it's not the Fab Five baggy shorts anymore right. um, at all. So it's just a different day. Everything is very fitted. Um, and I'm always giving the guys, you know, uh, um, a lot of fun, poking a lot of fun with those guys about, you know, their short shorts that they have. They like, for them, they don't know any different. So that's what they yeah. grew up in. So I'm like, yeah. Ooh, this is it's a different day for sure. Oh, I mean, if I would have wore shorts like that, people would have made fun of me. And oh, now easy. it's the yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have felt comfortable. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even no. have felt, like, I no. felt like I didn't have anything on. You know, right? Like, exactly. Like I had, like, boxers yep. or something. But that, yeah, their, not... their stuff is as long as boxers. Like it, their their compression shorts are longer than their shorts half the time. Yeah, so it's right. A, it's a different day. Yeah, I'm not sure any of my friends still have ever seen my knees. If I'm being honest. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You were I, I play in pants now. I'm at that age. I play in sweatpants <laughs> now. So I don't even wear right. shorts half the time. Right. Um, well, last one. Uh any player we talked about Max Asmus. Any players that you just love watching in the Summit League that aren't on the Kansas City team? Um, that's a good question. Um it's a kid from um and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his name. He's a freshman um, from um, the last home game, man. And I'm just gonna blank. But um, he's a freshman from. Um, oh, let me see if I can, I can get see. the. Let me see if I can get the last home game for you. I mean, he's at, he's n- number three. Um, I think he's number three for them. But uh, just a phenomenal player, and he's only a freshman. Oh, St. Thomas. Saint, what what's his name? It's Andrew Rody. Andrew Rody. Rody yeah. is tough. Like I, I was just I was watching him off the ball. I'm watching him get into it with Shamari Allen. Um, I'm watching him answer like play for play. Yeah. You know he gets scored on. He's coming back. He has that kind of attitude, that kind of moxie um, yeah, about him. Where I was like, man, this kid can play play. Right. You know, where it's like, you know, he's he's one of those players to watch, and especially only being a freshman and coming out there you know, on that stage and not being afraid, you know, not being rattled, you know, at all. He's coming out there, you know, to play. So I was, I was really impressed, impressed with what he can do. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you joining us and yeah. yeah, Thank you. No problem. I appreciate it, man. Good luck to y'all the rest of the season. All right. Thank you. You as well. All right. Thank you. All right. Um, so I was really excited that we got the opportunity to talk with Michael, one of my favorite people outside, of course, of the two of you that provides commentary on uh, Summit League games. Uh, but a, just a great interview. Fun to talk. Uh, my favorite part of the whole thing was just how embedded into Kansas City he is. He he grew up just a mile from the campus there. He said he decided to go to Kansas City, even though he had many other offers because he could stay at home and and his family could could watch him play. Um, played overseas for, I think he said, eight or nine years and then came back and went back in Kansas City, works with youth there in Kansas City and does some not, uh, work with a nonprofit. What did you guys think of the interview? Well, I think from a just like a personality standpoint, like I love guys that just really have a lot of fun. I think that can be yeah. lost on people sometimes, like or at least lost on myself anyway. Like 
I like have to tell myself sometimes to loosen up and I just like that. He just really has a lot of fun with it. I think that's kind of contagious and you know, we, we, we only do this because it's fun. Right. And he's, he's a good reminder of that. I think, uh, that was, de- that's definitely a takeaway for me. Um, you're right. The importance of having alumni and like institutional support for your program that can help give context to what the coaches is trying to tell these players is incredibly important. And I think there's a stark difference between some of the programs in the conference, their alumni support. And um, I think it shows up in their ability to recruit, the ability to develop and the ability to retain talent Uh, that should not be lost on on, on anybody. Um, We all know that that's important, but we don't really get to see, we don't really get to pull back the curtain on that. And so I think a lot of his comments are, are very telling as to why that's so important and how impactful it can be. Um, And also, you know, uh, I loved how he talked about the team just really enjoys being around each other, which is so important because we've seen that not be the case with some teams and the disastrous effects that accompany it. And in the day of the age, when you're trying to recruit out of the portal, you're trying to recruit transfers, you're trying to recruit all these players, you have less time to build a rapport with these players. You have less time to get to know them. And so it's harder to tell if these players are a good fit or not, but you really don't have any choice because you need these players. And so for them to be able to bring all these players together, they like each other. Um, Obviously they're much more likely to stick around and they're much more likely to develop and and just develop that trust on the court. That can really lead to something special. Uh, You just want to make sure that this year, if they're taking some lumps this year, and I think they're having more success than even they planned that it actually means something. And I think they have the recipe for that. You can't say that about everyone, but I really think that they do, especially hearing some of the things that he said that quite honestly, I didn't really know. So uh, thanks for for getting that uh, interview together. I found it really interesting. It was great. You can tell he loves that team. He loves covering. And uh, I've always thought it's okay for radio guys to love their team because they're typically paid by the school or, you know, and I've always, on the TV side, I've always thought I've got to maintain a certain level of objectivity here. I've got to be, in fact, I get ripped by Bison fans because I'm not enough of a homer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I just refuse to do it because I think my job is to provide analysis. And, and But I think on the radio side, it's easier because, hey, they are, they're, they, they're on the bus, they're on the plane with the guys. They get to know them at a totally different level. And uh, I know he does TV down there too. I, and so I, and he has TV, right? It's it's through the Kansas City website, but I, but okay, I think so it it's goes probably, both ways. Could be both, yeah. yeah. So, but but uh, he loves those kids. He loves the young guys. Um, you can tell he's impressed with both Allen and Mitchell and what they're able to do. Um, and I like that. And, and so uh, I, I like his insight. I like his enthusiasm. And I think he's pretty accurate. I, I think they still have a ton of upside, and I think they still have a ton of room for growth this season yet. These freshmen are growing up. I mean, they came in to Fargo and just flat out got after NDSU. There yeah. was no there was no level of intimidation. There was no back down in them. And I'm looking through some numbers. They are killing it on the offensive glass. They're averaging like 13 offensive rebounds a game, you know, which you can overcome some poor shooting when you get, you know, multiple possessions. And uh, they create some problems with their length. And But I, I really liked his enthusiasm for the guys and just kind of what he's, what he's seen develop over the course of this season. And, and you know what, rightfully so. Uh, so I thought he really brought a nice, uh, some, some great insight to the growth of this Kansas city program. And if you don't remember what type of player Watson was, uh, obviously a third all time leading score in the conference, he's first in three pointers attempted by like 200. <laughs> and I think he shot like over like 1100 some. And then he's, uh, I think he's also, first in three pointers made or he at least he was like 391 man i was thinking about how fun would it be to shoot 1100 three pointers <laughs> that's <Yeah>. awesome <laughs> i mean that's so yeah obviously just a tremendous player and i i just i have a lot of respect for the kids that remove their ego from where they how they approach where they go to college right he had a very self-aware situation where am i going to be happy like it's not about, oh, this is the highest offer, so this reflects best on me, like a lot of kids do. Um, what's wrong with Grant Nelson at NDSU, right? He can achieve all his goals there. 
What's wrong with Michael Watts at Kansas City? You can do all, you know, go overseas, play uh, professionally all you want, make all the money you want. It, you don't have to chase the highest offer to have it reflect good on you and to serve your ego. Get yourself in the right situation and stay there and have a, a tremendous career. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great interview. And and again, kind of a little bit of the Max Acemas well before there was Max Acemas. And so it was fun to to go back a little bit. And when we talk third all-time leading scorer or really Max has a chance to I think get as high as second. No one's catching Dom unless he comes back and plays another year, which I think he technically could, um, <laughs> but I don't see that happening. Um, but we're talking 41 years of conference play. That isn't, it, it's not, the Summit League hasn't been that whole time, but if you add the Mid-Continent in 41 years, so um, incredible score, tw- 25 points a game, one one season. So, yeah. It, it just goes to show, I mean, what a ridiculous career Mike Dom had. Like yeah. That was just the last thing I want to say when I was looking over the records. It's like, Max, you're right. Max would have to stay healthy and come back next year and play a fifth year at Oral Roberts and have his best career year to get the all-time leading score that Mike Dom did in four years. It's just, yeah. it's just absurd. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we could have a we could have an entire podcast on some of the amazing players that have come through the league. But I, I agree what what Dom did and. And to come, you know, he he showed up at South Dakota State and Nagy didn't even know if he could play. You know, they took a flyer <laughs> on him because he killed it in one of those back gyms out in Vegas. And all of a sudden they get him on campus and, and look what happened. But no, I won't go there. That's a, that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> but Mike, if you're listening, we'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. Let's talk <laughs> about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so... Talking about incredible uh, players from the past, I wanted to t- touch on an incredible week that a Summit League player had. Um, and granted, it, it it was three games because of the makeup game on Monday. But we had Trent Masner. We, we want to talk Western Illinois and going five and one in their last six or what what it have you. Trent Masner, 99 points in a week, which the only person to go over 100 as far as we could figure out was Mike Dom. Uh, 46 against UND. Scored his low game of 23 versus South Dakota, but he also hit the game-winning three. And then 30 in that incredible comeback uh, against South Dakota State where they were down 22 at home. Probably the biggest crowd I have seen in Macomb in our time doing this and my time following the summit, which is about five, six years following it closely. But great crowd in Macomb, and they got a treat. What a week by Trent Masner. And and, uh, so I'll – you you guys can go whatever direction you want on Trent Masner, but I I had tweeted if you vote for Trent Masner for Summit League MVP, I can't be mad about it because there may not be somebody if you just called it most valuable, there may not be somebody that's more valuable to their team. You're right. I, hey, listen, you go and go look at his other numbers in the league. He leads the league in in assists, and he's top. Yeah. I think he's top twelve in rebounding. Um, he's all over the conference leaders. Now, granted, he plays crazy minutes, but he can't. He's conditioned himself to play crazy minutes. Acemas does as well. Yeah. Um, he may be the most complete player in the league because he gets it down the defensive end as well. And we've seen him have those types of games before. He went for 45 or 46 at NDSU. Yeah. He, he is clearly in the conversation for player of the year. And, he, and he's earned that, and he deserves it. So I... Not at all. To say it's Acemas's and that it's a foregone conclusion, no, I, I don't think it is. And it, Max is having a fantastic season. He deserves to be in the conversation as well. But when it comes to, like you say, most out, most most valuable player, I'm not saying that, you know, oh, are you still a really, really good team, even if Acemas isn't playing? They've got a ton of talent. Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to be what they are, but you take Master off Western Illinois, they're not seven and four in the league. I don't even know what they would be in the league without Masner. So definitely in the conversation. Yeah, that's the thing that always frustrates me about when you're trying to give out awards is everybody kind of has their own criteria. And that doesn't make it right or wrong. I mean, there's certainly going to be some people that vote for Max Acemas because he's a leading scorer, right? And that, that's what's important to them. Or he's the best player on the best team. Certainly understand that as well. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. I I tend to gravitate towards the definition that you gave, Todd, where you take these players off their teams 
what's left? How do they perform? What would their record be? And, you know, I don't think there's a question that Western would be significantly more effective than Oral Roberts. And obviously, you know, it, then on the other side of things, obviously you don't want to hold Oral Roberts great roster against Max, but you know, it's a very valid point. It's a very valid, we're talking value here. Who has the most value, not necessarily the most skilled player, right? That's not the name of the award. So um, I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch it play out. I mean, the fact that we're talking about him being one or two uh, and not Grant Nelson, who's probably going to make more money than anybody in the league playing basketball professionally is a testament to his, his level of play lately. It's just, you can't ask anything more out of a player. There's not one thing that you can ask him to do that. He's not willing to do or not able to do, or hasn't been doing. It's incredible. Well, in thinking just top end talent, I mean, we also, you know, Zeke Mayo's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I, I think talent in the league overall this year is a little bit down just with some of the, 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 the players leaving for other, other programs, but that top four or five players, you don't get much better than, than the four we just mentioned. So uh, a little interesting turn that we're, that we're going to make now. Um, I had a person on Twitter by the name of DG, the prophet say that we just don't talk enough Omaha. And I said, you know what? If, if we don't talk enough Omaha, we're going to go at least five minutes on Omaha. So I'm even going to look at the timer. Okay. To see where we're at. And I got it. And let's talk a little Omaha. If you, and, and he also asked about getting Gary Sharp on for an interview. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that. We've, we've been asking for feedback and, and if we get feedback, I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. Um, so I'll start and then, and then you guys can kind of go from there. I'll go with, with my first major takeaway with Omaha is that they're just trying to figure out still at this point what works. And I don't know that that's surprising um, given the amount of roster t- turnover outside of uh, a few players and then just trying to fi- – and then you've got a, a couple of injuries that that played into that. Um, Jaden Marshall was out for, for a long period of time. So players like Tony Osborne and Ja'Shawn Glover – freshmen that that played very limited minutes at the beginning of the year are now as starting or at least playing major minutes on on most games and and greg maybe you could start as as a former coach is is that something that just kind of happens when you've got a a lot of roster turnover as the year progresses you just start finding things that work or don't work um and start trying to push different buttons Absolutely. I mean, because everything that you think going into preseason before you get into and even though you've gone through workouts, individual workouts, and and then I know they've changed the rules where you can do some, you know, uh, full team work. But until you actually get into full blown practice, you have some preconceived notions. Then you get into full blown practice and, and you got some guys assimilate quickly. Some guys, it takes them half a year to assimilate. And but you don't give up on it. And, then, and you're always weighing, all right, how many more opportunities do I give this guy in game time, you know, in game situation? He's proven himself in practice, but he's got to perform in games. And and this is and this is going to become more prevalent just because of roster turnover, just because of the portal. It's going yeah. to be difficult. And that's why I was sitting here thinking, as you and Zach were talking a little bit earlier, I'm sitting here thinking it might be more the norm what we're seeing this year moving forward because of roster turnover. It takes half a season to for coaches to hopefully figure out what do we really have and what what can this guy bring to the table, even if it's and it could sometimes is totally different than what you thought based on what you saw of him before, whether it was high school or his game film at his previous stop. You're thinking, well, he can come in and do this, and all of a sudden in practice and games, you find out it's a totally different impact that that player is going to make for you. So you find a way to fit him into that role. And some guys that you are have high hopes for never develop or it takes them a year and then another off season to develop to the level that you hope they could. And then some guys just flat out don't. So yes, it is, it's not uncommon. And, and we know that crutch and, and uh, a kind Brown, they brought in a, they kind of overhauled the roster, even though they've, they've got Fiddler back and, and they've got a rope back and, and Lukey back uh, Brome, the big kid, uh, but they've got, they just, you got to find a way to fit those guys in and put them in the best position that you think to be successful. And sometimes it's hard to cut that rotation down. Sometimes you kind of go with your gut and say, I think this guy might be able to perform in this situation. 
depending on what the matchup is. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of things. It, it's the old you are flipping, building the airplane as you're flying. That's that's exactly what you're doing, especially with that much roster turnover. And uh, I'd love to say Omaha is unique. They aren't. Uh, a lot of teams in the league are facing the same situation. Greg, that's such a good saying, building the airplane as you're flying it, because it's 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 there's no better way to describe what these coaches must feel like trying to figure out this stuff on the fly, you know, figuring out situations that they never really envisioned themselves being in. And, you know, I think it is timely to talk about Omaha anyway, because you're right, Todd, there's a lot going on here. Um, their roster has been moving around or their lineup, I should say, has been moving yeah. around uh, way more than everyone else at this point. And. I have some thoughts. I have some theories. I'd rather not guess, though. I'd rather be able to talk to somebody to kind of verify some of the thoughts. But you're right. It, it, you know, this this youth movement is really kind of interesting. Um, it's hard to know if it's paying off, right? So, I mean, Omaha, they're, they're 0-5 in their last five. Uh, only one of those games are at home. However, it was against Oral Roberts, Kansas City, South Dakota, South Dakota State, and NDSU. So, yeah. I mean, none of the games that they were favored in anyway. So, uh, you don't want to. I don't want to get too carried away as to what the what the changes in their lineup means, or if it's working, or trying to overanalyze that. Um, I do think it's important to point out that uh, they have to go to Denver and to UND this time through the conference schedule, um, which is obviously two of their wins at home. And so I, I think uh, that's makes for a, a more difficult second half of the year than the first half of the year. Um, it, but they did go out and, and win at Western Illinois. So the, the team that we just talked about, the hottest team in the whole league, well, Omaha's beat them at their place. So, right. I mean, just like, like, like we've said so many times this year, just when you start to feel good about a team, they have a hiccup. And just when you start to scratch your head and say, I just don't see, I, I don't see how these guys are going to figure it out. They, they give you a performance that, that leaves you saying, where was this all along? You know, um, they started 11 different players. Fiddler and Sutton have been the, the two mainstays in that starting lineup. But outside of that, you know, everybody's kind of had their crack at it. I also think who starts the game is definitely overrated. Um, but there could be a lot of reasons for this. So I don't want to necessarily overanalyze that part or speculate on that part, but there's a lot that's going on there. And there's a lot of building the plane as they're flying. It appears uh, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a, a bad thing. I don't know. Um, I don't want to, without talking to somebody in the, in the um, department. So just kind of some, my general thoughts on Omaha. I mean, you know, they, I, I, you know, even if these freshmen are starting, they're replacing sophomores. Yeah. So it's not like, it's not mm -hmm. like they're like the, the, the seniors just aren't getting it done or something like that at other places. It's, um, it's a full on youth movement. Any way you slice it. Yeah. Yeah. It, the one thing that I have noticed and, and you could add uh gosh, darn it. I'm blanking on the other freshmen that can just shoot jungers, Luke jungers. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Osborne, both pretty elite shooters. So it does seem like they're trying to find minutes for some of their uh, outside shooter, and then and then uh, Glover is a heck of an athlete. He had a block in in their last game against ORU that was a, a pretty impressive. So yeah, I, I don't know Zach that I have the answer either as to if there or even if there is a this is why. I mean sometimes when you're you're struggling to win, you just mix the lineup up to see if that the the right buttons get pushed, but. Uh, but what I will say is they're not just playing freshmen because they want to try out some freshmen. These, these young guys can, can, can play some basketball. And, and so it's, it's been fun to watch again, Glover barely saw the floor for the first 10, 12 games. And now he's playing 25 minutes a game. Um, and doesn't look lost out there and can shoot a little bit. And Osborne, same thing. You barely saw him. And now he's really making some big contributions um, so maybe it's just things players are doing in practice. And Greg, you mentioned Dylan Brom. I'm not, I'd have to look at the stat, but I, boy, I, I haven't seen him much lately. So, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's an injury situation or not. I mean, yeah, I'm not positive. You know, his minutes were good and leading the team in blocks when he might be dinged too. You never know. Right. Um, and, and there were two things that I thought as you guys are talking about Omaha, because I, you know, it's interesting. Omaha has played ORU tough twice. They played ORU as well as anybody in the league. There, there are going to be two coaching situations 
where they're going to send their student manager to go get some Tums if it comes up in Sioux Falls. One is going to be if ORU sees uh, Omaha in the eighth spot. And two is whoever has to play Kansas City in the first round. It's those two teams, those two situations would not be enjoyable for whichever coach is in that situation. In one case, it would be Coach Mills. But a lot, of ha- a lot of things have to go right in order for that to even happen. Right. Well, so uh, DG, the prophet, that was nine minutes of Omaha basketball. Um, so, again, if we keep asking for uh, for a feedback. And so get, get us feedback. We will go in directions that people uh, w- would like to have. We, we love feedback and, and want to make sure we're covering the league as a whole. So if, if, if uh, you feel like we could do more with your team, let us know. Um, one last thing, and then we'll wrap up uh, for today. How critical with the way Oral Roberts is playing is getting the two or three seed? I don't think it's that critical. I, I kind of, I may have a different contrarian view on them. Like, honestly, I'd rather play them before they get ahead of steam going. You know, I'd rather play them before they get comfortable in the gym. Um, I think you stand the best chance of upsetting them. You're going to have to go through them at some point, you know? Right. Uh, I think it's important to be a top two seed because then you have the extra day of rest. So you play Saturday, have Sunday off, and you're back on on Monday. Oh, yeah. So, you know, a top two seed is important. And then a top six seed is important because then the bottom four have to play that extra game. So if you're bottom four team and you win the whole thing, you have to play four games in four days. That seems kind of improbable at this point. It's just not something these teams have been preparing for. So those are really the two main tiers top six and top two that i think are the most important to me more so than avoiding oral roberts at some point in this bracket you know i i i think it's it would be nice to to avoid them until you get to the championship round the one team that can handle it because of a number of different dynamics is south dakota state because they're going to have ten thousand people in their corner and zach i think you alluded to this i i hope they never ever take that tournament out of sioux falls it would absolutely I think crush what they built. Um, but part of me goes, I, I, I can't begrudge South Dakota state fans for showing up. It's no different than North Dakota state football <laughs> fans. It's just the way it is. And uh, I think they would have the best chance of playing ORU whenever they played them because it's actually going to be a home court environment. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I, I think it'd be nice. I mean, if you had your druthers, someone said, Hey, you want to be three or four? Uh, yeah, I'll take three. <laughs> and I better play my way to earn it. But uh, you're also not going to be playing a team the level of Oral Roberts in the semis if you make it that far. I agree the extra day of rest is nice, but it has happened where people have won three nights in a row. So um, I, I think all good points. I just look at it a little bit differently. Neither one is right or wrong. I'm not criticizing yours. I'm just saying there's some different dynamics at play down there in, in, in Sioux Falls as well. Right. Yeah, I, I just to, to kind of clarify what I said, yeah, of course we like to have fun with the fact that it's basically a South Dakota State home tournament. Um, <laughs> I know I know a lot of coaches agree with that. Um, I also don't think it's like – it's just a good environment. It's not hostile. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, it's fun. Like, I never – there was maybe one or two times in my career where a hostile crowd – really kind of affected things and it was against teams that were so good it didn't really matter anyway so like it's just fun like and i think most players think that too like even if you're getting even if teams are cheering against you like it's fun so you're right it's it's that term is not going anywhere anytime soon nor should it but it's always kind of have fun to have fun a little fun with the situation you know i don't think there's any chance if uh oral roberts loses to south dakota state that uh Coach Mills will mention it at all <laughs> press conference. So that's the best line of the night. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and Coach Mills, if you hear this, I I remember the shout out to us from last year. I appreciate you. I'm just having fun. <laughs> yeah, if you can't have fun, go home, right? We can all tease each other. Yeah. But I and so I do but I do understand from the coach's perspective why that can be tough, especially right after. <laughs> I may be It could be annoying. Too. Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. It, it could be annoying, but does it actually affect anything? No. That, that's a great point. Don't ever forget West Illinois knocked off South Dakota State twice over the in a span of four or five years mm-hmm. in yep. the first round. Yeah. Um I think the one thing that I always went back to is student athlete experience. 
And I have to believe that every young lady or young man that ever has ever played in the conference tournament, uh, whether it was back in the old Sioux Falls arena or in the Denny Sanford premier center has got to, I've just got to believe it's been one of the best experiences of their, of their collegiate careers. You know, think about those South Dakota state fans when it comes to that tournament, they just love that tournament in general. I mean, of course they want to see South Dakota state do well, but in those games where they were upset that you pointed out, Greg, a lot of them just stuck around and just cheered for good basketball. Like, yeah. and that that's kind of more of what the tournament is than anything else. So that's why it's so fun. I completely and, agree. Completely agree. And frankly, if Oral Roberts beats South Dakota State and they stick around there and they're, let's say they're playing North Dakota State, they're likely to become Oral Roberts fans at that point. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So that, yeah, that's, you can flip it. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, you just can't go away from 10,000 sold tickets yeah. to every game of a mid-major college basketball tournament. It just, especially when most mid-major tournaments are disasters. Yeah. I mean, again, we've talked about it before, but I went to the big sky one in Reno and it was me and some guy selling popcorn. That was basically who was there. So, all right. Well, you know what? We're at 45 minutes plus the interview. I suppose we'll wrap up for this week and just see what next week brings us. As as you mentioned, Greg, we got two games tomorrow. So we've got a, another three days of Summit League basketball. I don't think there's a Friday game this week, but all sorts of things to catch. And and uh, I always love when there's games at different time because uh, Saturday's game with South Dakota State and Western Illinois was perfect. It was the only one happening at that time. It, the Summit League as a whole got to catch that one on ESPN Plus. So it was perfect. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the coaches hate this stuff, but it sure is nice when the games are broken up a little bit like this because it's it's kind of hard when all the games are playing at the same time to really yeah. keep an eye on everything. So it's going to be nice, and then it's also going to be nice to get everybody's schedule back on the same page so there's no more makeup games. Right. Yeah, and Todd, I just want to go back to one point you made. Credit Western Illinois fans. That was a fantastic environment. Yes, it and, was. And I'll tell you what, if they if they ever question whether or not they can have impact and have an impact on how their team performs, hopefully they took they walked away from that game. And I hope they get back out and keep watching uh, and, and 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 continue to watch Western Illinois compete this season. And I'll also say that yep. I'll also say along those same lines. And geez, I cannot boy, I cannot believe I'm about to say this, but the the St. Thomas fans were were great uh, yeah. against <laughs> South Dakota State. That's the most I'll ever say about that. And that's, that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Really some memory making regular season games. So I hope that means people keep coming out because that, that was one of the best Western Illinois. Again, it was just a fantastic atmosphere. And I was at the St. Thomas South Dakota state game. It was fantastic. So, all right. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this week and I will see you guys next week. Take care, everybody. 